Monday, Monday afternoon, afternoon. Theologians. 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 Now, our next one has to do with prophesying or speaking a prophetic word over somebody. Hmm. And this, to me, is different than, say, discernment, which is a spiritual gift, right. where the Lord will give you a particular word of knowledge about somebody that is for their edification. If it's not that, then it could be something that falls into the reins of psychicism, which yeah. is really frowned upon in a biblical sense. And it isn't anything at all what the New Testament means by prophesying or what the Old Testament prophets did when they were speaking to the people. Prophetic messages that contradict what the Bible says are absolutely false. You know, we always have to come back to what the Bible says about prophecy, and we see what it meant in the Old Testament, and we look at it today in the context of prophesying the Word of God to a, a group of believers. Right. Two very different things. They are indeed. I, I have some relatives, in fact, uh, who are really into prophecy. They come from a different background than I grew up in, and yet the kinds of prophecy that they describe sounds more like what Paul was trying to describe when he said, I would rather speak a few discernible, knowledgeable words of prophecy, meaning words of Scripture and its scriptural truth about the gospel, than a whole bunch of unknown words that came to him through speaking in tongues, for example, glossolalia. And so they would think that if you're prophesying by speaking truth from Scripture and it meets a specific need and the Holy Spirit uses that to do something, either a convicting word or an encouraging word to a fellow believer, that could be really helpful. And that kind of prophecy, if described correctly and biblically, is a very beneficial thing. But a lot of the prophecies that are happening today really comes from that new agey kind of background where you can sort of clear your mind and wait for something to pop in there. And then they can say, well, I got a word for you, and this is what you're supposed to do. That gets really scary. Because if it's not grown right out of Scripture, who is that person to say, oh, really, that's almost like you're just putting on the authority of God? And they are. And to say it that way, it's pretty scary, because you better make sure that it's coming right out of Scripture, and it's God speaking through Scripture, and not just some person who had a weird thing come into their head at the moment. Now, what's another one of our uh, heresies that are working their way into the church from the New Age movement? This is something I don't know a lot about, but I can say even on the surface that anything we do that connects people with physical manifestations or physical healing because of energy coming out of rocks or certain kind of places like in Sedona, Arizona, where there are so many people who think that there are vortices there, I get really wigged out about that too. And things like Reiki and energy healing, and you got the chakras and this kind of stuff coming into play. There's an awful lot of new ageism that feeds into that. And it can certainly become idolatry because they're really putting their faith in this energy rather than recognizing that there's a God who created everything for our benefit and we should be worshiping God and not the created things. I think that's a New Testament concept. So if it's a new agey kind of belief, then we may not be worshiping God. We may be worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. Yeah, the thing that comes immediately to mind is the basis of Star Wars, which is the Force. Yeah. You know, all created things have an energy 
that uh, surrounds us and we're able to use it um, yeah, yeah. if it's taking away our focus from the one true god then we want to stay away from that right right so the next thing we see is that there's a lot of self-glorification hmm. instead of god glorification in the new age positive affirmations are used to boost our confidence and these affirmations don't really work you know, it's proven by the fact that you are having to repeat them daily or hourly to keep yourself moving forward in a positive direction. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to glorify God in all that we do, but if we're you know, boosting ourselves and putting ourselves in a position where we are creating the reality that we talked about earlier, then we are shifting the focus from where it should be onto ourselves. And I think that may be one of the reasons why we're seeing an increase in narcissism and self-glorification in so many different ways. Yeah, we see a lot of this in the sports world, too. And you'll see people who are claiming to be professing believers, and they may be, you know, God knows that. He knows the heart. And yet they'll say, oh, man, God gave me the ability to believe in myself. And you think, well, that's kind of almost a contradictory term, even in itself, because really it's like that little train who thought he could, you know, I think I can, I think I can. If we just think we can, we can. And for the believer, it's like, no, I know I can't because I'm a sinner. Only Christ can, but it's because I stand with him that I can. There's yeah, that's right into our, our next one. Yeah, which is believe in yourself. Uh, this new age slogan glorifies self rather than believing in Christ. And it says that you need to follow your heart. Just follow your heart. Man, I've seen people just get into some real messes by following their heart. Because if our heart isn't connected to Christ, our heart will lead us astray. And the Bible says that the heart is deceitful. And anyone who takes an honest inventory of their life can see that the heart misleads us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says that we've got to trust God and not lean upon our own understanding. You know, you have mentioned many times in, in our uh, backstage about certain people that you're concerned about because they're following something that isn't scriptural, and yet they believe that it is. Yeah, that's just, that gets to be very frightening, which is why probably, and I know some people who have been Christians for a long time, they may get tired of me. I don't know if they haven't said that, that they do, but I wonder if they get tired of me continuing to preach, we can trust the Bible as trustworthy. And I'm, I'm constantly doing apologetics lessons to them about what some people who try to detract from the Bible are saying and how we can defend against that, because we need to defend the faith and we need to defend the Bible as a trustworthy source, because we don't trust on our own understanding. We have to trust God. And where do we find out about him? Through the Bible. And that's our trustworthy source. And the next one has a lot of little catchphrases in it that are clues for us that something is off. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we sometimes hear it called the word of faith. Um, it really comes down to the first catchphrase, which we hear so many times, which is name it and claim it. You know, this is telling God what he needs to do in our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, some water that down a little bit and call it giving God permission to do something in our lives. You know, we want to live your, our, our best life now. That comes straight out of a particular pastor's vocabulary. It's you decree and you declare that something must happen. And uh, some would call it sowing the seed of prosperity. 
doesn't that sound familiar from a, a variety of certain pastor uh, groups that yes. uh, a lot of people follow because they want to hear that but in the new age it's called manifesting or in the positive thinking crowd talk about the law of attraction Ooh, and I watched man they are so dangerous and it's something that i looked into in a period of my life and yet i found it wanting i found it to be less than satisfying and now that i know what it actually is it makes me wonder what i was thinking in those early years when i was young and foolish well sure and which is why we're trying to say these things that point people to the truth and the source of truth because all people can be drawn into things like that and the couple of people that i've come into contact with that started to talk about sowing a seed for prosperity when they even use the phrase i kind of know where they're coming from because that's a catchphrase but a lot of times they'll say and you can start sowing it by sending a donation to my ministry that's where it kind of boils down it's like oh no wonder you're so wealthy because you got all these people sowing seeds for their prosperity and you're the one who's getting prosperous <laughs> we got to really beware about that stuff and this whole law of attraction i saw a documentary related to some of that stuff and it is really dangerous we ought to be attracted to jesus christ who is the source of our salvation and the only one who can really transform us to be more like himself and that's where we're going to start to see the kind of attraction we really need and anything else is really dangerous and should be avoided yeah this goes back to what we talked about earlier in, in speaking reality into existence a lot of people will fall back on you know, I'm created in the image of God and he created stuff. So I should be able to create stuff. Yeah, but yeah. what it really means is I want to be God myself and create this stuff like he did mm -hmm. because I am my own God. And there we fall into that first lie again. And yeah. we know where that came from. Uh, how about this next one? Uh, Jesus calling books. That's a, a strange one, and it's not something I had heard a lot about, but I've heard about other things similar to that. So I think it probably falls under the same umbrella. And that's basically a form of channeling, but they try to make a Christian version of channeling. They use Christian terminology, and they have a few Bible verses associated with it, but they contain messages supposedly from Jesus that actually contradict and twist what Jesus said in the Bible. So in a sense, they're adding to or changing something in scripture, which we call basically, oh, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, it's like in Jumanji, that original movie. And she goes, oh, did you cheat? And he goes, no, I just took this thing out of turning. Oh, well, honey, we call that cheating. <laughs> you know, we call this a lie. You can't turn something around and make it sound like something that's good for you when Jesus clearly didn't mean that when he said it. And anything we're doing that's trying to channel something it becomes very dangerous. In fact, I'll take this in a slightly different direction for a second, because I think it falls into this whole channeling concept. We had somebody that we knew in our circle of influence spend a lot of money to go to another country to go around somebody that she thought had this real amazing ability to heal, and she needed some healing. Unfortunately, we found out about that same person, and that person, in my opinion, was a total fraud Yes, there was a lot of power associated with that, but I think it was the power of darkness. I don't think it was from Christ at all. And he was claiming to basically be uh, possessed by one of the Old Testament prophets so that these persons were being healed by an Old Testament prophet. Well, the Bible so clearly forbids that sort of nonsense 
that we could clearly say, no, that's not of God. That's not at all anything that's biblical, and you should run away as far as you can. Interestingly, that same person that this person went down to try to see was later found out to be a fraud, and there are lawsuits against that person. There are all kinds of crazy things happening. We need to be aware of that. If somebody says, oh, yes, but it's a kind of channeling, what, wait a minute, we're not supposed to have channeling at all. So we need to avoid anything that relates to channeling. So the next one has to do with a couple of heresies, which are called the Arianism and Kenosis heresies. The first one is the Arianism, which says that Jesus was just human and not God. It takes away his total divinity. And we know that that's not true based on the scriptures. And the second one is kind of derivative of that, which teaches that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity during the time of his earthly ministry. And both of those are blasphemous, and they have their roots in New Ageism and the occult. And yeah. those are both very, very dangerous because we know that he was divine and human at the same time. Uh, he gave up a lot when he gave up his throne and came to earth from heaven, but he clearly still had divine nature. He was both fully human and fully divine, and both coexisted in the same person. I don't fully understand it, but if you take one into another area, then you get this kind of blasphemy and a new age occult, uh, which is really, really dangerous about how we would view Jesus at all. And what's next on our list? Next one is little gods, small g. In the new age, the Bible verse, be still and know that I am God, is taken way out of context because some new agers will say, oh, well, yes, but I'm in training to become a little God. And we would say, eh, time out, there's only one God, capital G. If God inhabits us through the Holy Spirit, then we're being transformed to be more like him, but nowhere does scripture say that we are going to become little gods. It just doesn't happen. And in other cults, there are people who promise that they will become a God someday, and they'll be in charge of their own planet, in fact. That's not scripture. That's just not scripture. It's uh, something to be seriously avoided, and we need to question that and look into Scripture and find out where's that coming from, and how did they twist that, because it is a twisting. The very first same lie that Satan told Eve in the garden, that you will become like God because you will know something he didn't want you to know, but this particular cult takes that to the, the whole next level. In fact, even says that Jesus started out as a human and became God so that he could be the God of this planet. And uh, that's what they're trying to emulate. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So the next one is something I touched on briefly just a, a little bit ago, which is co-creating with God. The Bible never tells us that we get to partner with God. Now, that's a very man-centric or egocentric viewpoint. Because God does not need us to be the creator. Uh, he did that fine all on its own. You know, we need him. He doesn't need us to co-create anything with him. In fact, everything that we particular make on our own is probably going to be tainted by our sin nature and end up with something that is probably pretty horrible in his eyes. Oh, gee, could be maybe an idol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we want to follow his will. And you know where we find that, of course, is in the Bible. 
And anything that is contrary to that is not going to be found in his will. That's so true. It's interesting how we need to be careful about how we word stuff because he allows us to participate in his redemptive work, but he's the one doing all the work. If a church grows, he's the one bringing the growth. Anything that happens is a result of his work through us. And it's so easy for us to slip into that and start using verbiage that makes it sound like we were partners with him or co-creators or whatever that that we need to be very, very cautious about that sort of stuff. What's next on our list? Next on the list would be crystal idolatry. Here again, we have a created thing. God is the creator. He created all of this earth, this planet for us to inhabit and to subdue, to, to govern, to take good care of. But when people start putting their faith in things like crystals, and that practice can be viewing crystals as having special healing powers, well, that's just idolatry. If we're saying that the crystal has healing powers, God is the one who has the healing power. He is the great physician. And anything we view as having more power than God is, frankly, an idol. So anything we focus on more than God is an idol. The Bible forbids idolatry and worshiping the creation. We're just supposed to worship the creator. So we have to be very cautious about that. I love geodes and I love looking at rocks and things like that, but it ought to be like in Romans chapter one, God is displaying his wonderful creative abilities in all of creation, but it ought to reflect the glory back up to him and say, what a wonderful creator he is rather than worshiping the created. The next one is very similar. That would be the idolatry of essential oils. You know, we, we look at the Bible and we see that olive oil and hyssop and, and other things were used. People are anointed with oil and that oils have a particular place in the Bible. But when we start to practice the essential oils, again, as having special healing powers, then we place the object, the creation, above the creator and the great physician. You know, and we are forbidden from worshiping anything within creation and only to worship the creator. And there's nothing essentially wrong with oil. We, we see it used, and it's a, a biblical concept that we see all through both the Old and New Testament. But the problem is when we make the oil an idol by viewing it to be above God, who is the one who has the special healing powers, not the part of creation that we use in the ceremony. Sure. Once again, we're here at this tool thing. It can be a good tool. Things with the eucalyptus tree, we found out that some things like mentholatum can help clear your sinuses when you have a, when you have a stuffy nose. That's not a bad thing. But we understand that God created all that, including the eucalyptus tree. And so we give him the glory and we thank him for the good stuff that's there. But when people start shifting their focus and saying, oh, but this has a specific healing property and we're trusting in the oil rather than trusting in the God who created these things, then we get messed up. I remember my grandfather, he's kind of an old cowboy, and he used to think that WD-40 would help loosen up his stiff shoulder. So he would spray his shoulder with WD-40 every morning. I'm not sure that that fits into the essential oils category, but uh, <laughs> I personally is essential. <laughs> I personally thought that was a little on the weird side myself. And uh, it is funny because we used to get a lot of these folks that were getting really big into essential oils just a few years ago. Nothing wrong with oils, like you're saying. You know, I like a good lotion in my skin to keep me from being so itchy. That's a good thing. But thank the Lord that he created good stuff and we can use it to good uh, purpose 
but it's just a tool. Um, here's one that I came in contact with because I read a couple of books uh, about angels, and one of my unusual stories wound up in one of the angel books written by a person who really gives glory to God, points people to Jesus Christ, and recognize that we're not supposed to pray to angels. <laughs> I had an experience that I think was probably an angelic intervention, which was incredible. But when somebody asked me about that later, when they had read about it in that book, they were enamored with the idea that I might've come in contact with an angel. And I thought, man, that's exactly what's not supposed to happen. We're not supposed to elevate the angels so that we're focusing on them. That's why they do their work so anonymously. And to pray to the angels is really wrong. Nowhere in the Bible does anybody call upon an angel. No one is praying to the angels. No one prays to the archangel Michael in the Bible. Paul says that we should not worship angels, Colossians 2. And he says that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He says that in 2 Corinthians. And when the apostle John bowed before an angel, the angel said, stop it. Don't bow to me. We see that in Revelation 22.8. So we're not supposed to pray to angels. We're supposed to pray to God, and Jesus Christ is our mediator. He stands at the right hand of God. We don't have to go through a priest or an intermediary or a saint or an angel. Yeah, and on that line, even communicating with angels is not something we see as being biblical. Right. There's, there's no person who initiates a conversation with an angel. And the people in the Bible don't ask angels for favors. And it's spiritually dangerous because, as you just said, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Yep. You know, he sends the angels to do his will, to do his work, not ours. And what I find fascinating about this particular thought that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, you know, that same cult that we mentioned earlier, not by name, um, there's a particular angel of light that becomes mm. the uh, first stepping stone to the entire religion that was set up based on that interaction. Yeah. And it is so scary to think that even in their lexicon, demons are defined as angels of light, and yet the first point of contact with the founder of that religion was with an angel of light, and they don't see the contradiction in it. I believe that there are hundreds of millions of angels that are doing work that we can't see, but it's not our job to work with them. They are in the background making things happen so that God's will is fulfilled. Yeah, that's clearly seen in the New Testament, especially through a lot of those writings from Paul and the Apostle Peter later in the New Testament. Uh, another thing that Rick and I have discussed in some of our pregame huddles is trying to find a balance because we'll have some people who grew out of, for example, witchcraft or satanic kind of situations. And so they say they would just put a, a nix on anything or reading any kind of fiction that would glorify or present some sort of witchcraft. And of course, they would use Harry Potter as a big primary example. And I remember our kids being young enough to start feeling pushback within churches and saying, wait a minute, you let your kids read that kind of stuff? And so we need to be very discerning and understanding that there are tools, there are uh, fictitious stories and things like that. Should we surround our kids with that stuff predominantly and constantly? Absolutely not. But I've seen some pendulum swings from kids who were so completely kept away from any of that stuff that then they were so curious that when they got on their own, they dove headlong into them. 
So as a good parent, we want to balance our kids by saying we live in the world, but we're not of the world. I think they need to know that there are things that we should be careful about because this is fiction. It's not the real thing. But if you go down that road, start playing with Ouija boards, you start reading this, looking at those kinds of movies, reading these kinds of books, you can get drawn into the occult if you're not careful. And they need to know the difference between the occult and the truth from scripture, which is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So uh, again, we're saying, yes, we should uh, be very careful about what we do expose our children to. But as a parent who has seen so many kids go wild when they got to college, because they had parents that were so legalistic, I think we need to have good, open, honest discussions with our kids and show them the difference between what's fiction and what's truth. And they need to know that the truth comes from scripture. Yeah, and we see all sorts of things in secular writings, whether it's Lord of the Rings that has wizards in it, or the Once and Future King talks about Merlin, the, the magician. Right. And it's very possible that there were influences by those who were called wizards or sorcerers uh, within historical uh, record, because those practices have been with us for so long. Yeah. And yet, uh, when they're fictionalized, they can be glorified. And as you say, may uh, pique the interest, which is why we do have to be careful with what we do and make sure that that anyone who is looking into those understands that those practices are forbidden within the biblical structure, but it doesn't mean that we need to put our head in the sand and say, oh, they never existed, because they do. They did a thousand years ago, and they do today, as we see the increase in those who are looking at the practices of Wiccas, and um, those can be very dangerous things. But to just say everything that has the word witch or wizard or sorcerer in it is absolutely wrong and should never enter into the conversation at all is putting blinders on and can actually be detrimental to, as you said, what we feed our children. Yeah, it can be. Uh, boy, a lot of discernment that needs to go into that because uh, we're not saying go right out and buy all the fiction you can. <laughs> we're saying help them understand the difference between the two. Um, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe comes to mind, C.S. Lewis. And you see that there are really good parables, and uh, it's an allegory that really kind of shows us that fight between the dark and the light. And uh, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for our kids to be exposed to if we understand and if we have these good discussions with them so that they know that there is a difference and they should avoid anything that relates to the darkness. They don't wanna go into that dark side and they don't wanna start practicing witchcraft or doing div divination or doing kind of spells, any of those kinds of things. Uh, no channeling, all that kind of stuff. And they need to know why that's dangerous because they need to know the truth as well. Yeah, the next one we wanna look at has been the point of contention for a very long time. Mm -hmm. That is the use of horoscopes and astrology to guide your life. You know, and the tolerance of such things is actually idolatry, but it's also increasing. Mm -hmm. And it even has made its way into some churches. Now, anytime that astrology is mentioned in the Bible, it is associated with the pagans and their idols. Mm -hmm. And some have even taken the Christmas story and the Magi and said that they were astrologers because they were looking to the skies. But we also see that the Bible tells us that there are signs in the heavens 
And at which point we see them, we should take notice, such as when the shepherds saw what was happening in the sky as well, and went to find the Christ child. Yep. We don't want to look at, at constellations and the position of stars to guide our life through astrological predictions. No, that's not what the, the Magi did. In fact, there are, are some who say that they were looking at the prophecies of Jesus to guide their steps from you know, their homelands to Bethlehem at that time of year. Very, very big difference, and that's a good differentiation. Uh, everything that God uses in his creation can point to all the prophecies that came true in Messiah, Jesus Christ, including the alignment of stars, because he created them all. And so astronomy could have helped open their eyes to something that was very important because of a scriptural prediction. So they were wise men, these sages, the magi, which traced all the way back into Babylon, including Daniel, the young man. Uh, so we can see that God can certainly use those things, but we ought not to be putting our faith in what can become the dark side of that because of horoscopes and astrology. And so the last one we're going to take a look at is another one that um, probably needs to be looked at with the sense of balance that we're trying to use. Mm -hmm. I was looking into the Enneagram because some people in our church were very excited about a couple of the things they were learning about it, but they said, do you know much about it? And I had to admit, nope, <laughs> don't have a clue. So I started reading up on it. And what I could discern is that some of the earlier writings about the Enneagram, which is a personality grid, they essentially divided different personality types as a way of trying to get uh, a vocabulary to discuss different personality types and where they might have come from. What were the early influences in our life that may have played into becoming the way we are in our personality? So some of these things in the earlier phases did not come straight out of a Christian background, and we should avoid those things. However, just as we have seen in other tools like uh, some of the things that Tim LaHaye wrote about early again, like 50, 40, 50 years ago, he did something based on some current personality tests, but he would use a biblical filter by which to say, which person in scripture do you most associate with? If you've got this kind of temperament type, maybe you're like a Simon Peter, and maybe you're very effusive and you make friends easily and you talk a lot. Maybe you're a little more choleric and you're like the apostle Paul, well, he was borrowing from secular tools in this grid of personality types, but he was imprinting the scripture on that to turn it into a Christian-based personality type test. There's nothing wrong in using a tool and redeeming that tool by saying, we want to develop a scriptural vocabulary by which we can say, I can identify with this personality type, and here's somebody in scripture that I identify with because they have a similar personality type. Knowing that and knowing that Christ is constantly transforming me through his Holy Spirit doesn't mean that that is a satanic tool. So we have to just say, be very careful about which kinds of books you're looking at when you're learning about the Enneagram, because there are some out there that are not Christian-based, they're not biblically-based, and we should avoid those things. Yeah, it's interesting, when we look at all of these practices, we find that they are, in fact, quite progressive. By that, we mean people will start in one place and move to places that are more intense. Yeah, you know, yeah. We recently watched a video of a young woman who had a redeeming encounter with Christ about a year ago, 
and she had been into all of these new age practices. But one of the things that she kept saying was, I went further in and further in and further in, and I always wanted more because it always left me empty. And it might start out as something very innocent, but pretty soon we lead ourselves down a road to much darker experience. And that's because the new age philosophy is right out of the pits of hell. And it's a devil's tool that has infiltrated the church. And we've seen it in many different ways. And what we find is he has an almost uh, exact counterpart that is counterfeit mm -hmm. to what the Bible teaches. So what we need to do is increase our wisdom and our discernment and so that we can recognize these practices and stay away from them and get back to biblical perspective in everything that we do, not just in the church, but in our daily lives and how we encounter the people within our sphere of influence. Yes. Yeah, that's a good bottom line. And that's kind of a good place to wrap up this part of our look at New Ageism. We want to take people all the way back into Scripture. And if you're in the Word every day of your life, then your transformation is happening because you're getting that truth into your mind and God uses that to help transform us. And that's where we want to continue to take folks. You know, it is very possible that some of our fellow theologians may have fallen into some of these practices and they may need to have a, a prayer of repentance. And it's possible that some of our others have come to realize that they have never taken that first step of faith into a renewed life with Jesus Christ. So perhaps we might want to lead them in an example prayer. Very good idea. Let's do just that. And I'll just lead this kind of a sample prayer. First of all, for somebody who might say, yeah, I need to get away from some of these practices because I see now that this is really not scriptural. And I want to find out what's the truth that this lie has been opposed to. I want to know the truth instead of the lie. So you could pray a prayer, something like this. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God that continues to reveal yourself and your truth to me, and thank you for that. Thank you that your ultimate truth is seen in the person of Jesus Christ, and because I want to follow him with my whole life, I don't want to let anything get in the way of my following Christ, and so I, I need to remove something that you have revealed to me has become a crutch or something that I've tried to add to your word and that I find so much fulfillment in that it's taking me away from my relationship with Christ. I don't want that. And so I just want to give that to you. And I want to get rid of that and get it out of my life. Thank you for taking that away, for helping me to become hungry for you, the living bread, because nothing else satisfies like you do. And so I give this to you right now in Jesus name. And then if you happen to be somebody that uh, you would like to trust Christ, you could say a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, I realize that I need to trust Jesus Christ with my life. I've tried lots of stuff to try to make my life seem more meaningful, to give my life purpose. And I just continue to come up against these feelings of emptiness and like I don't belong anywhere. And I know that I belong with you. And so I trust you. I want Jesus Christ to become my spiritual guide. I don't need some sort of spirit guide. I need Christ. I need Jesus Christ. He's the only one who was perfectly capable of paying for my sin. And he did so willingly by dying on the cross for my sin. And I thank you for that. So forgive me of my sin. Come into my life with your Holy Spirit and guide me the way you have for me. Thank you for showing me that you have the way and you want me to walk in it. I want to walk in your way as well. 
and I want to get to know you better by reading your word constantly and getting to know what you want from my life. I want you to be the center of my life. Thank you for doing that. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, as always, a pretty deep dive into some areas of uh, New Ageism, and yet next time we're going to take an even deeper dive and take a look at even more manifestations of how New Ageism has crept its way into the church. Right. So thanks for joining us. We do hope that you'll check out some of the resources we make available to you on the website, which is mondayafternoontheologians.podia.com. And we do hope you'll join us again next time for the next episode of Monday, Monday Afternoon Theologians. 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 Theologians.